sorry, page 810. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, and those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, and that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is uh, so challenging to our society and challenging to our lives. We thank you that your word uh, changes the way that we think and the way that we live. And we ask that as we consider your word now that you would be giving us spiritual insight and understanding that uh, we would uh, change our thinking and our behaviour and our attitudes, uh, that we would live more in a way that uh, honours your purposes for our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What does our society think about singleness? It seems to me that our society sends out different messages about the single lifestyle and how it values the single lifestyle. There are shows on TV where uh, all of the characters are single people. Um, can you think of shows that are in that category? I'm, any thoughts? The Big Bang Theory. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so if you watch TV these days, The Big Bang Theory, that would be one of those shows. Any other thoughts? 
Seinfeld, yep, exactly, a great uh, 1990s sitcom, is it? Any, any others? Sex and the City? What was that? I didn't hear. Farmer Wants a Wife. <laughs> uh, the other one I can think of was Friends. Any fans of Friends uh, here? Yeah. I've actually been to the cafe of Friends. What's it called? Um, Central Perk. I've been to Central Perk. How about that? Now, in these shows, uh, single people are often depicted in a certain way, aren't they? They're depicted as being people who... Uh, want relationships, but they also want to cling to their freedom. Uh, the freedom to change relationships, uh, if necessary. Uh, the, ch the freedom to live and to work uh, as they want to do so. Uh, and the freedom not to be held back by anybody. And it's, uh, the message is that this is a great lifestyle. That's one message. The reality, of course, is that for many people, singleness uh, is not a matter of choice, but rather of circumstance. Uh, think about your own families, your own circle of friends. Think about our own church. Uh, there is a whole range of marital, singleness situations amongst us. There are those who are no longer married, who once were married but are now divorced. Uh, there are those... Uh, who are no longer married because they've been widowed. Uh, there are those who never get married. There are those who'd like to get married. And to the singles amongst us, our culture sends out a somewhat different message, a message which is sometimes unhelpful, a message about what the ideal lifestyle should really be. I wonder what you think the ideal lifestyle should be. Think about this picture. Uh, happily married to a terrific person with great kids and later on great grandkids or wonderful grandkids that really honour you and make you proud. And that's a wonderful picture, isn't it? But what message does it send to those who are single? And what difference does being a Christian make? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40, the, the Bible takes uh, the messages that our society uh, uh, spreads about singleness and turns those attitudes upside down. Can I get you to open up your Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 7? And as you're doing so, let me say something about the structure of 1 Corinthians. Uh, the first half of 1 Corinthians that we've looked at uh, over the last few months or so, uh, in the first half of 1 Corinthians, Paul has addressed concerns which he has had about the church. But in the second half, Paul answers questions which the church has raised with him. For example, uh, have a look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1 that Peter spoke to us about last week. Uh, where it says, Paul says, now for the matters you wrote about. They've written to Paul, they've asked him questions, and now he's going to address those questions. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. Now, says Paul, about food sacrificed to idols. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. 
where he says now about spiritual gifts. Go to chapter 16, verse 1, where he says now about the collection for God's people. And uh, chapter 16, verse 12, where he says now about our brother Apollos. Do you see the pattern there? Uh, They have raised concerns with Paul and it's his intention to address those particular issues. Well, in today's passage in chapter 7, verse 25, Paul says now about virgins. Uh, Reading between the lines, it seems that uh, they have written to Paul and they've asked him the question about whether or not unmarried people in their congregation should get married. Now, that sounds like a strange question to ask when you look at it just on the surface. But there is a reason for it. And you see that reason in verse 26, where we're told that at that time, there was a crisis that the Corinthians were dealing with. We can't say for sure what that crisis was. But Paul says that because of this crisis it would be wise for people to keep their marital status exactly as it is. Verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. Now, I wonder what that present crisis might have been. Um, The reality is that we don't know because the Bible doesn't spell it out for us and there's a number of different theories that people have. One which appeals to me is that uh, there may have been uh, a a drought that was being experienced in Greece at that particular time. Think about it. In the ancient world, uh, with no contraception, uh, you get married and within a year or so, you're most likely to be feeding another mouth. Within a couple of years, uh, more mouths to feed. And a prolonged drought, remember droughts go for years at a time, a a prolonged drought uh, in the ancient world would mean food shortages and sometimes starvation. And so the question is in that context, is it wise to actually go ahead and get married? Now, think about... uh, the world today, in poorer parts of our world, and I'm thinking particularly of Africa, uh, when there is a drought, when there is a famine, uh, it is often the case that that parents suffer greatly. They suffer great hardship and even the grief of losing their children because they have so many mouths to feed. And uh, the question is that you ask is, would it have been better if you knew that that was going to happen to not marry? Now, notice that Paul doesn't, does not say that uh, these Corinthian singles cannot get married. Uh, that is, uh, this is not a command from God. In verse 28, they can get married if they like. That would not be sinning. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's more a matter of wise or unwise. And that's why Paul says in verse 25 that he has no command from the Lord, but he speaks as one who is offering uh, what he describes as trustworthy judgment as a wiser, um, older Christian man. 
So that's and it gives us an idea of the context. Uh, it's a local issue for the Corinthian Christians at that time in their present crisis. But it also serves as a bit of a launching pad for Paul because he now goes on in the rest of the chapter to sing the praises of the single lifestyle. Now, how does he do that? Well, we need to take a step back and to, uh, to consider the bigger question of God's plan for our world and our lives. Um, whether we're married or whether we're single or whether we're contemplating marriage, we need to ask the question, what is life all about? Uh, is it the indulgence and the supposed freedom of the television sitcoms with their version of the single lifestyle? Um, or is it is life about the, the classic Australian dream of um, family life and owning your own home? Um, these are good gifts from God. But is that the supreme purpose of life? Take a look at verses 29 to 31. In verse 29, what I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. Now, I don't think that uh, Paul is saying you should deny your circumstances, but he's getting us to think about bigger issues. You and I, um, how long do you expect to live for? Well, you know, unless you get a terrible sickness or an accident, uh, you may live for 80, 90 years. I think lifespan is increasing a little bit. You may live for more than that. You may live for less than that. Another thing to consider is that our Lord Jesus, he could return at any time. Now, we don't know when, but what we do know is that every human being lives for eternity after death or after the Lord returns. That's an eternity which is lived either in heaven or in hell, either with God or without God. How much do you think about eternity? Is it something which uh, you're conscious of? Uh, is it something which occupies m much of your thinking? Uh, if so, how does your view of eternity impact upon your priorities and your goals uh, in this life? How important do you see the things of this life? Uh, one of the favourite hymns of many people is Amazing Grace. And uh, I'm particularly challenged by that verse about heaven. Do you know the one I mean? The one that says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Now, do you believe that? Well, if so, then let me put this question to you. Think about 10,000 years uh, into 
into eternity. Well, why be so small-minded? Let's think about 10 billion trillion years into eternity. What, at that point, uh, how significant do you think it will be how big your house was in this life? Or whether you were married or single in this life? Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? A few of the things which we get hung up about uh, now uh, will be forgotten about 10,000 years from now or 10 trillion years from now. Now, uh, we should enjoy the good things which God gives us in this life, but what Paul is saying in these verses, if I could sum it up, he's saying that we need to hold on to those things very loosely. When we buy something, we should treat it as if it's something which is not ours to keep. Uh, when we use the things of the world, we should not become engrossed in those things because this world, in its present form, is passing. Now then, what does Paul say about the single lifestyle? <clears throat> the other day I googled uh, the words, the exact words in inverted commas, I googled the words, choose to stay single. I came up with 79,500 websites. Uh, without the commas, I came up with something like about 16 million websites. But the exact words, choose to stay, choose to stay single, 79,500 websites. I did not look at them all. I'm paid to do better things than that. But a few of them, the top ones, were titles such as 10 Good Reasons to Stay Single or 101 Good Reasons to Stay Single. There was one comment that I plucked from one of those websites that kind of summed up the message. comment was this, and I quote, The beauty of being single is that you don't have to share with anyone. It's all about, can you guess? It's all about you. It's all about you. Well, in verses 32 to 35, Paul gives a very different reason why Christians should consider staying single. It's, and it's not all about you. It's actually all about God. You see, because this world is passing, life is all about the gospel and eternity. Um, the very reason that Jesus has not returned as yet is that he is in, his, in, his, in God's grace and mercy, he is allowing more time for more people to become Christians. I mean, otherwise he'd just return now, wouldn't he? And you and I, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are uh, co-workers with God in this great work, this great enterprise of telling others about Jesus and growing his kingdom, spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Now, marriage or singleness impacts on that. Um, if we are married, then uh, God wants us to be responsible uh, to our families, to be responsible to our spouse and to our children if we have children in terms of caring for them. And uh, the way I see that is that it means that we've got a more specialised ministry to a smaller group of people and a very powerful ministry to our families. 
but to uh, some extent, uh, at various times even to a large extent, that will, uh, that will greatly limit uh, our ministry to other people. But the single Christian has greater mobility, greater flexibility and greater freedom to serve others with the gospel. Uh, Paul himself is a good example of this. As a single man, Paul was able to spend his life travelling the Mediterranean world, evangelising people, planting churches, caring for Christians. Uh, many missionaries today are people who have chosen to remain single so that they can serve God more freely. And this is a very real issue because the reality is that in uh, many circumstances, uh, in terms of uh, missionary service, in remote and sometimes dangerous places, uh, it is very difficult to do the work, but even much more so difficult when you're also caring for children and seeking to look after their needs. Um, that, of course, is one reason why our own Heather, uh, Heather Kerr, is able to serve so freely in Tanzania at this time. We prayed for Heather earlier on. Can I encourage you to keep on praying for Heather in her ministry with the Church Missionary Society? But the advantages of being single do not just apply to overseas missionaries. Um, those of us here who are single, um, in general, uh, sometimes dependent upon health, but in general, we are more able to be involved in Bible study groups, in youth ministry, in visiting those who are sick, in caring for seniors and encouraging others. Now, if we are married, then we should be doing those things as well. But if we are single, we have the freedom, the flexibility to do so even more. Um, when I was single, at one point I think I was leading three Bible study groups simultaneously or on different nights of the week. Knock off from work at five, six o'clock, go home, have some dinner, head out to Bible study group. You can't do that as a married man. Actually, you need to be at home occasionally to care for the family, uh, my wife and kids. That's just an example of that. But it doesn't mean... So what I'm saying, what Paul is saying, is that there is validity in considering the advantages of the single lifestyle for the sake of ministry. But it doesn't mean, uh, doesn't always mean that a Christian should choose to stay single. Um, we see this in verses 36 through to 38. Now remember the context, there's a crisis in Corinth, there are young couples who are engaged, should they married? Well, Paul says that there are two types of couples. Firstly, verse 36 if anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. It's pretty clear, isn't it? They should get married. Um, why should they get married? Well, there's a couple of matters that he raises, but I want to focus on the critical issue and that is the issue of acting improperly, sexual immorality. Um, take a look at what Paul said about this back in verse 8, which we looked at last week. Over the page, he says, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am, 
But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Um, Sex is not a sufficient reason for getting married. But if there is a right relationship, then it is better to marry than to burn with lust and to fall into sexual immorality. Um, I I think this has implications, by the way, for uh, young Christian couples today uh, who are engaged because uh, it may mean that the length of time between the actual decision to get married and the actual wedding ceremony sometimes needs to be a bit shorter. (laughs) Sometimes people prolong the engagement, they want to have a long engagement because they're worried about finances and, you know, all that sort of thing. But in doing so, that they can actually lead themselves into temptation to sexual immorality. So sometimes that engagement period might need to be shorter, for it is better to marry than to burn with lust. So the overriding principle there is that of godliness and honouring God in relationships. Secondly, in verse 37, Paul says that... um, uh, the man, he talks about a different couple and he says that the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. Now, why should that couple not get married? Well, in this case, the man at least has made up his own mind. Nobody is compelling him to stay single. And the critical issue is this. He is able to control his own will, his own desires. He has the gift of celibacy. Uh, You and I know that great problems have arisen in churches when men have been compelled to remain single uh, as a condition for them serving God in a particular capacity. And great problems, which we hear about on our media almost daily, great problems which have brought profound damage to individuals and deep shame to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ have resulted Peter mentioned this last week, I think it's worthy of uh, saying again, that at the time of the Reformation of the Christian Church in 16th century Europe, when the Protestant Church was formed, that one of the first and most, most urgent reforms that was implemented was that ministers and nuns were allowed to get married. Friends, I think it's stating the obvious to say that in some churches today that reformation needs to happen. The people in ministry need to be allowed to be married. Finally, in verses 39 to 40, Paul addresses the situation of widows. Verse 39, 
A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. Uh, Reading between the lines, it sounds like the Corinthians have asked Paul a question about whether or not Christian widows in the congregation are free to remarry. Now, he makes... uh, few points here. Uh, Basically his answer is yes, uh, but firstly he affirms the lifelong nature of Christian marriage. Uh, But secondly, he says that when a person is widowed, that it may not always be wise uh, for the widow to remarry. Now, Paul is a godly man. Uh, He has the Holy Spirit. He is an elderly man. He has Uh, experience and he is aware that remarriages may have complexities. Now this is not his only teaching on the subject of widows. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 he expands on the situation for widows uh, and how they ought to be cared for. Uh, Firstly he actually encourages younger widows to go and get remarried. Actually explicitly says that in 1 1 Timothy 5. Um, For older widows, uh, if they have children, if they have family, then it is the responsibility of their families to take care of them. Uh, But if they have no family and they are older widows, if they're over the age of 60, and if they have lived godly and upright lives, then it is the responsibility of the church to care for their needs. So he's very caring towards widows. However, um, it is not wrong. So so, that's what he says about widows in 1 Timothy 5. Uh, And what it's saying is that um, in one sense there ought to be no need, at least from a financial and practical level, for uh, older widows to remarry. But secondly, it is not wrong for them to remarry on one condition. Do you see what the condition is? That they must marry someone who is a Christian person, someone who is in the Lord. Now, that, of course, is true for all Christians who are contemplating marriage. Uh, We ought not to... uh, go ahead and marry a person who's not a Christian, who doesn't share the same relationship with God that we do. Uh, And if you're in a relationship like that, you need to rethink that quite seriously. So it's something for all Christians. But when a person is widowed, the temptation to marry someone who does not love the Lord can sometimes be even greater for a person in that circumstance. I have... uh, Friends, uh, women who have been widowed at an early age and uh, they have spoken to Cassie and myself about the struggles that they have with uh, their identity and their place uh, in society and they have spoken of their vulnerability uh, to the advances of men and their vulnerability to the advances of non-Christian men. And so we need to be supportive of them. 
and we need to strengthen them in their resolve to only marry someone who is in the Lord. And perhaps this is why Paul spells out the issue explicitly here. So friends, the teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is radical. How does it change our thinking? How does it change your thinking? Do we need to change the way that we think about marriage and singleness? Perhaps perhaps we don't all value singleness in the way that God values singleness. God places a very high value on singleness for the sake of serving him. I have Christian friends who are long-term single people and who are very committed to serving uh, God in ministry. And it's interesting talking to them about the challenges of their lives. One of the things which they say to me is that those of us who are married, who are married need to be careful to respect and to value the singleness of single people. Um, sometimes in our love for them and because they are such beautiful people, uh, we want to help them along a bit, don't we? Um, we want to help them along by introducing them and trying to hitch them up uh, with someone. We want to help them to change their status. Sometimes they can actually find that discouraging because the message that it may send to them, uh, the message that they hear, is that we don't value their singleness and we don't value the freedom that their singleness gives them to serve God. Uh, one friend who's very, very effective in Christian ministry uh, has said that, and, and, and deliberately made the choice uh, not to get married so that he could, and has the gift of celibacy, he said that he's found it very unhelpful that uh, Christians have not valued his singleness and encouraged him in that. So in our love for single people, uh, we need to be sensitive. Uh, we also need, if we're married, to be um, inclusive and to be uh, thinking hard about uh, the way that we relate to, uh, uh, in general and are there ways in which we relate which may exclude um, single people. Um, who do we sit next to in church? Do we always sit next to our spouse or do we sometimes look for the single person and go and sit with them? Uh, it's more difficult for them to go and choose to sit with us if we're married. Um, we need to think about it in terms of invitations um, to, to meals and to social events and so on. But what about those of us who are single? Well, the message is that the single Christian has freedom. But it is not a freedom to self-indulge. It is not a freedom to serve yourself. It is a freedom to serve God by serving others. It's a freedom which is radically different from that which is encouraged by our world. Let's pray.